my sponsor is like sobriety for me. And he goes, if you consider me your teacher, sobriety for me is being off of all mind altering substances. He's like, even though it's not an illicit drug and even though you're not drinking, you need to be off everything. And so I went into rehab again, <laughs> um, got off of everything. And then that started my true sobriety right there. I'm Flint Anderson, founder of Pain, parents and addicts in need. I've been in recovery since 2001 and there isn't much I don't know about recovery. And my mission is to constantly tell the truth about addiction, to make the realities of addiction, recovery and drug culture known and to drive awareness and advocate change that ultimately saves lives. And I'm Jason Lachance, a certified recovery coach with a passion for speaking with others and sharing their knowledge to help others seek recovery and maintain long-term sobriety. And this is the Don't Hide the Scars podcast presented by Pain, parents and addicts in need. Riding solo today. Well, not totally solo. Flint Anderson list. How would we say that? Uh, <laughs> my friend Michelle Carroll, thank you for joining me on Don't Hide the Scars. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be here with you once again, Jason. Yeah, it's lovely to see that smile, that smile of doing the work right there. Yeah, yes. How many, how, where are we at? A couple of years now? So we're at four years and almost six months on, yeah, on the 8th of February will be four years and six months of sobriety. Wow. I love yeah. it. I love yes. it. We were having a talk before we hit the old record button there. And I was talking about how one of my, um, after my relapse, my, the gentleman that became my sponsor, we had an amazing conversation and it, and you brought up that point. It's, it's powerful to have someone that's seen you through a process. Cause as of this recording, by the time this released, I'll be just at right at three years after my, my last slip up relapse, whatever you want to call it. I say relapse, others say slip up because it lasted about six hours. Okay. Oh yeah. It, however you want to phrase it, but we need other people to kind of be able to help us at times when we're a little that mm, like you've come so far. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's so important. You know, it's, it's like in my sobriety over the years, like I, I hit these like really high peaks of being really positive, being able to see like everything that I've gone through, everything that I've transcended. And I feel really confident and powerful in my sobriety. And then there's moments where I start to feel like maybe I'm not doing enough, or maybe I could be doing something better, or I just don't have that clarity to see how much I've transformed. Mm -hmm. And then that's why I like to surround myself with people that have more sobriety than I do. And also maybe not even necessarily people that have more sobriety than I do, but people that are working the program that are in alignment with like the principles, the 12 step principles, and they're honest and open-minded and willing, and they're meditating and praying because they have clear sight to see whenever maybe my vision's a little bit skewed. And then they can point out to me like, Hey, like, you remember when you used to be like this? Well, this is what you're like now, you know, and just point out like all the positive aspects of my being now. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the power of the program and and mm -hmm. why I encourage people. I mean, we, we are always going to get, get that. Oh, well, I'm not religious or the God factor or whatever it is, but that that's where it's so much of the power lies in is to have those people that can reflect back or mirror back certain things that, that like, wow, it's true. 
if you work it, it works. And that's what it means. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh. Okay. Like I see myself different. I think about my life different. I think about life in general different and others mm-hmm. and the way I treat people. And it's like, that's what it means. Yeah. You know, prior to getting sober, um, I didn't care how I treated anyone else. Mm. And I wasn't honest. And I just didn't care. And now I feel like everything has shifted to where I try to treat people from a place of love and open-mindedness and not controlling and just the way that I am and the way that I approach my everyday is a lot different because whenever I was using and drinking, the first thing that I would think of is like, I need to go get a hit. I need to score. I need to drink prior to even, you know, brushing my teeth, taking a shower, if I even took a shower or anything like that. Right. And now like the first thing that comes to mind, as soon as I wake up, as I go straight into gratitude and, uh, and I'm serious, like the first thing I start to do is thank God for like various things. And then prior to me, even stepping foot out of the door, it's like, I pray, I meditate. I think about my intentions for the day Mm. and my life is different because before it was all about scoring, getting high or drinking and what it is that I could do to make myself not suffer. And now it's like, okay, God, um, what is it that I can do to be of service to someone else today? And then get in alignment with that. And that's a completely different shift. (laughs) Totally. Right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When we, and it's the weird thing too, is, is tell me if you've had this with some newcomers that they, they may not, and it's a tough concept coming out of our addiction and mm-hmm. and that 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 frequent you know use abuse everything is self-centered to it is the most beneficial thing for yourself to do for others yeah and it's tough that's a tough oh, yeah. concept to grasp oh yeah i, I equate I, I, sorry I, I i love sports analogy i equate it to because i'm a motorsports guy sometimes you got to go slower to go faster and it's like huh it's the same kind of thing. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense, but when you start to do it, it's like, oh, oh, light bulb comes on, mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah, whenever you talk about going slower to go fast, I think that's something that's really important to speak about to newcomers because when I came into sobriety into the twelve step program, I saw people that had what I wanted, right? And Mm -hmm. I wanted to get there as fast as possible, (laughs) but it's important to take my time and to do those steps like in order and to not rush them and not to overlook anything, not to say that we're not going to go back through them through our sobriety or anything like that. But while we're doing those steps is to take our time to be mindful, to learn and to be patient with the process rather than just wanting to go to zero to a hundred and get to where say your sponsor is right now. Like it takes time and learning to be patient with yourself and letting go of expectations of the way your need, your sobriety needs to look in comparison to someone else's too. Yeah. And for those of us that have a competitive nature, uh, I know you (laughs) you do. I do. That is the hardest thing is like, I'm only competing with myself. There is no one else. I am in competition with this when it comes to my sobriety because mm-hmm. it's my sobriety just me mm-hmm. that's it yeah i think i finally realized that maybe two years into my sobriety that it was mm. not me against anyone else 
that it's always been me against me in a sense. And, and not like, not like I had resistance or that it was like something that I was fighting like me against me, or if it was a competition or anything like that, but it's just, I let go of other people's perceptions of my sobriety, other people's expectations of what my sobriety needed to look like. I let go of the idea of like what my sponsor's sobriety looked like or anybody else's sobriety in the room looked like. I let go of needing to be like anybody else and learning to let go of everything that wasn't me and learning to just do my thing. Mm. Like as long as I was, I'm trying to think of how to put this, but it's like, as long as I'm practicing the principles, right. And I'm being honest and loving and not manipulating people and not stealing and not cheating. And my intention is to be a better person than I was yesterday. Then that's all that matters. Like, even if I'm growing just a little bit mm-hmm. compared to yesterday, that's like, yes, I'm winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, spot on. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it, it's tough and it's going to be tough. And that's the thing I think that is really important to get across. Like this isn't easy. And you made you made a good reference there. Like, yeah, we'll work the steps through the first time, but that's not the last time. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was talking with a young man the, the other night uh, after celebrate recovery and I'm like, and he's like, oh, cool. what's your favorite step? And I go step one. And he, well, well, why is that? And I go, because I have to frequently remind myself that that I am powerless when I choose my substance over life. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so if I can get back there pretty quick, everything corrects. Because mm-hmm. feel, feelings and thoughts, they come and go real fast. I got this wacky brain that's kind of creative and it makes up a lot of stories, especially yeah. when it's connected to memories and it wants to pull me back into like a victim mentality. Like I just jump back to step one. I go, oh yeah, no, that's that's a quick way to jump right back into my diseased way of being. Yeah, man, there's just there's just so much to talk about in in regards to like speaking to newcomers, like whether they're like in the twelve step community or mm-hmm. uh, celebrate recovery or anything. But one of the things that I think now looking back at the very beginning of my sobriety is whenever I was trying to um, rush through the steps is that, yeah, I wanted to get to that place where the person that was teaching me the steps was, but then there was also a part of me that was kind of like, yes, I wanted to hurry up and get from like zero to a hundred, for example. But then there was also a part of me that was dragging my feet whenever Mm. I was doing the steps. There was a part of me that was like, I don't know if I did an effective or a thorough fourth step, you know, and it's not because I wanted to be thorough. It's like, I was fearful about what was the next step going to bring up for me. Right. Did you ever experience that? I did. I I think it's that, that for me, it was that hard part of having to really take a solid look at myself, my actions and my behavior. And, and Mm -hmm. it was, I had to, and and really the sponsor I had at the time that helped me that I was telling you about did such mm-hmm. a good job of not letting me slip back into victim language. Mm-hmm. The Well, I did. And I don't know if I should apologize because I did because no, 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 no. You, you, you remove everybody else. You did. That's it. This, this is your thing to make. Well, and what if this person doesn't accept my apology? Not your problem. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, what they think of you thereafter out is not your problem either. 
it eventually it all becomes not your problem. You've taken onus for your action, the response and how it is like you don't get to control that. Yeah. And I never thought of myself as a controlling person because I was a people pleaser. I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to make everyone happy. No, no, no. That was incredibly manipulative. You were all over trying to control. You didn't even show them who you really were. You were playing poker with, with a couple of aces up your sleeve. It's like, yeah. damn. Wow, you're right. Oh, gosh. New Perceptions North, the premier drug and alcohol treatment and recovery center in Central California. A full continuum of medically supervised top quality care with programs for detox and patient residential treatment with dual diagnosis, intensive outpatient treatment, sober living support groups, and more. New Perceptions North provides adult men and women with the highest caliber of professional health care, treating each client with compassion and respect in a safe, comfortable environment to begin the process of recovery to proudly create and sustain a life without addiction. Call 559-978-1507 or visit newperceptionsnorth.com. To me, that was one of the hardest things about having a sponsor is it's like he, he was constantly putting this mirror in front of my face and saying, look, take responsibility for your life. This is not your mom's fault. This is not your dad's fault. This is not society's fault. This is not your schooling's fault. This is not religious fault. It's no one's fault. It's you need to take personal responsibility for everything. No one made you do anything. You allowed this to occur. And it was just like so hard for me because him and I were constantly like butting heads you know, and he'd be like, Michelle, you're still so manipulative and all these things. And then I would go around in, in the 12 step community talking behind his back and telling people that he was a narcissist and all that stuff. But the thing is that it was just really challenging for me to be honest with himself that he was actually right. Mm. And that I was still manipulative. Yes, I had removed like the alcohol and the drugs from my system and stuff, but I still was letting go of those character defects. And it was it took me a while to be able to see that I still had those defects and that I was still being manipulative and lying and uh, trying to like take the easy way out and everything. Until I think about last year and I went back to my home group in Austin, Texas, and he happened to be there and then I made amends to him. Mm, I was for... going to ask you that. Mm -hmm. Yep. How, yeah. How, how do you, how did, how did, how did that go down for you? Well, it was unplanned as usual. Um, you know, I always ask God to, to give me the words and to speak through me in moments like that. And that's what I allowed him to do. And I just told him, I said, you know what, Roland, I said, and whatever it is that came out my mouth of basically just taking responsibility and talking about the, uh, my perception back then and how I was not able to see that he was actually right. And yes, I was being manipulative and I couldn't see it, but I can see it now. And, um, just making amends for, being that way and for gossiping and all of those things and asking him what it is that I could do to make it right. Mm. You know? That's yeah. one thing that the people that I sponsor that I like to stress to them is like, when we make amends, we're not saying, Hey, I'm sorry. That word, sorry, does not come out of your mouth. It's what is it that I can do to make it right? And whatever comes out of the person's mouth that you're making amends to, it's like you don't have resistance towards it. You have an open mind towards them. Even if they scream or they yell or they whatever, it's like they're 
as long as your intention behind it was pure to make an amends and whatever happens after that is in God's hands and to let go of the resistance to whatever it is that occurs, but honor whatever it is that they say. Like if they say, you know what, what you can do to make it right, Michelle, is never to talk to me again. And so, or if they block you, you don't send them texts through other people saying, hey, uh, are we still friends or can we talk again or something like that? It's like allowing whatever occurs to happen. And for him, I don't remember exactly what he said, the exact words were, but he was like, it's okay. I get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad that we are finally able to talk about it, you know? Yeah. And so... Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's important too that we have to remember as sponsors with our sponsees is there is that possibility of those things. We have to also be prepared and pretty solid in what our recovery is. You mm-hmm. know, that's why I think I waited almost two years before mm-hmm. it was close to it for doing any kind of sponsor sponsee work because I knew I needed to be solid that like, okay. You know, this guy, like, I remember one guy asked me over and over, will you be my sponsor? And finally, it's like, yeah, okay, meet me. And mm-hmm. then telling my partner and letting her know. And then, I, like, the day of, I go, I don't think I'm going to leave and do that. And she's like, why? And I go, because this guy's going to flake, and I know it. And so I was sitting there at the house at the time I was supposed to meet and get the text, hey, man, and the 97 mm-hmm. excuses, and it was like, all right. Well, call me when you're serious. No, I'm serious, man. Like, no, you're not. Yeah. yeah. Look at the, the, all these excuses. You think I didn't have anything in my day? Like, right. you know, I had to move this, cancel this, change this, you know, and I, it's it's that need to be solid within us as a sponsor before we can take on a sponsee because they're going to throw the same crap at us that we threw at our sponsor. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And you know what? Like, one thing that I've decided to do is anytime that I take on a new sponsee, rather than because I I know what it's like to be a newcomer mm. and I know the excuses that come up because and it's easy for us to identify them because we used to be in that place. Right. And so now rather than saying, hey, I'll meet you at Starbucks at so and so at this time, it's like I'll send you a Zoom link. And then we'll meet like that so that I won't waste my time, my gas or my energy whenever five minutes beforehand, you don't show up or you don't show up at all. At least I'm still here at my house and I can do continue to live my life without wasting my time. Yeah. And it's hard. How, how, how many times have you gotten the, uh, when you make it clear that you're not going to waste your time? Well, clearly you don't care about me. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> the eye roll comes in. Yeah, okay, because it's one-sided. Look, I know you need love right now, but you, you got to give, this is a give and give here situation. Yeah, yeah, that that happens quite a bit. Um, I used to take that really personally, and I used to feel like I needed to explain myself in situations like that. Um, but now, you know, I just communicate with clarity and I know what my intention is behind it. And if they think that it's something that it's not, that's something that they need to work through. But if they're willing to sit with me and meet with me as a sponsor, then I will teach them how to change their perception. Mm. But yeah. How do you, you said something so important right there? The And gosh, the brain fog <laughs> just hopped in. 
because I've, uh, and it was something I'm like, oh my gosh, I've, I've had that same kind of situation, but the, the helping someone like change their mind, their way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a tough process. It's a tough, yeah, tough it, process. It is. Like what are some of the things that you start with? Cause I've gotten really into ontology. So, you know, because it's so, it's just so straightforward. It's just mm -hmm. so much about owning your stuff. And, you know, uh, mm. I, I, I was talking to this young, other, this uh, same young man. And, uh, and I'm just like, wonk, 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 wonk. And he's like, what? Like, don't you care about my, what, like my feelings? I'm like, yeah, but your feelings going to pass real quick. Yeah. Like, why, why do you, why do you think your feelings going to stay the same? Mm -hmm. And then he got a little mad and I go, Hey, in the last 30 minutes, have you thought about using? N no. Oh, <laughs> Oh, so it's okay. If I got, you know, uh, that picking and prodding a little bit, a little bit of that occurs, much like you said, like with your sponsor that, uh, you know, oh, he he's a narcissist and all this because it was the picking and prodding at the things that it's like, I don't want to see that about me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was tough, man. Just constantly. It's just like. I guess prior to sobriety, everybody that I would hang around with was constantly co-signing my BS. Yep. So if I said one thing, then they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they'd feed into that or they would agree with me or whatever. So it's a completely different process and type of like a relationship to have someone that is seeing from a higher perspective and then they can see all of your character defects and flaws and they start to point them out to you. And it's like, oh, man, that's tough. Mm. You know, every single sponsee that I've ever worked with, our relationship is always different. And for myself, um, I read energy. And mm. so whenever I'm speaking to somebody, I can tell just by the words that they use, by the inflections in their voice and the way that they explain certain circumstances, exactly where their traumas are, mm -hmm. things that they have yet to let go of. And it's kind of like they're showing their cards. You know, it's like in a game of poker, um, people make certain expressions. I think you can tell like what cards they have in a sense. Um, when people speak to me, like you're showing your cards, like I can read you like a book. And so every single person that I work with, the way that we work the steps is a little bit different, mm. but in essence, what we're doing is, uh, emotionally detoxing, you yeah. know, that's what I call, uh, like the fourth step. It's getting to the root cause of all of our behavior, our fear, our anxiety, all of our depression mm -hmm. and the root cause of all of that is our misaligned thinking yeah. and our perceptions of the world. Yeah. No, I wholeheartedly, and you know, was the saying a uh, depression is the past anxiety is the future. And we have mm -hmm. to re we have to reframe both of those. Mm -hmm. We have to, and I don't yeah. remember the exact science behind it, but roughly our, our memory and our imagination sit about in the same part of our brain. 
And yeah. I know as a creative person, mm -hmm. you know, I've I've uh, been blessed to have some good people with some good memories in my life and be able to go, hey, did this occur that way? Was it really that way? This is a, especially my brother. He's like, dude, that's not what happened at all, or at least from, you know, his standpoint and point of view. So it's kind of interesting to be able to have that to in that reframing of the past. Like I've had yeah. people ask me, like, how are you so cool with, the, with your past? And I've talked about uh -huh. it. And I think we've talked about it, you know, went through some sexual trauma and, you know, mental, emotional, and just the, the choice of relationships that us addicts choose. And mm -hmm. we do like, mm -hmm. don't, don't be like, don't continue in the victim. No, we choose. And it's just like, no, I just, I don't know. It doesn't even sit in my mind anymore. It's like, I made decisions. that's led me to where I am. I like who I am. And so I'm good with everything that happened. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, I became good with me. So it's, it's all a part. It's all a part yeah. of my story, you know, mm -hmm. and it it helps somebody else. Then cool, but that mm -hmm. there serving a purpose. Mm -hmm. It was just for me. It's just that simple. I mean, it took it took time to get it that simple. Right. It it does take time to get it that simply. But people have asked me the same things, Jason. They're like, "How can you talk about um, twenty five years of active alcoholism and addiction and living on a trap house floor and selling your keys to a drug dealer and almost having your arm amputated from overdosing on what you thought was heroin, but it was actually fentanyl and getting raped and tortured and kidnapped and all this stuff. Like it's nothing, Michelle, you mm -hmm. know? And I'm like, well, I did a lot of work to get to this point. You know, I've let go of the fear and the anxiety and the guilt and the shame and been able to get to the root cause of it. And I've taken responsibility for the choices that I've made. And I also know that everything that I went through is being used to teach other people how to transcend it themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it took a lot to get to this point in my life. Um, but there's not a part of me that is just in a sense, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of like spiritually by bypassing where you're just sidestepping the issues of like the sexual trauma um, and the addiction um, just by saying like, thy will not mind be done, you know, like, mm -hmm. no, it's not that, that what's happening. It's just um, these steps are very powerful. The 12 steps are very powerful. You know, I don't know if on the last episode that I was on it, had talked to you about how I was in and out of uh, rehabs at 13 rehabs. I stopped counting. I was in and out of psych wards, going to sober living homes and all kinds of, uh, you know, therapists, uh, psychiatrists, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, antipsychotics, and all these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. uh, and so the only thing that really worked for me was the 12 steps and it's a process of purification for myself. It it's a process of learning to let go of everything that I thought that I was, because I thought for sure, like I was like this hood rat. I thought for sure that I was like this badass, like drug dealer. I thought that I was like a thief and an emotional terrorist and somebody that was highly manipulative and stole everything from everyone and everything and was okay with it. And what I realized is like, I was just morphing into the people that I was hanging around mm -hmm. and that um, I needed to just shift my energy from 
being obsessed with like doing drugs and alcohol and other mind altering stuff to shifting it to being of service to, to people. It's just like pivoting yeah. because the energy that I have when I create content and I come on podcasts and, uh, and doing, you know, live talks and motivational things is the same energy that I had with addiction. It's just shifted from a place of like darkness into light. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Pain Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or visit us online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Pain Nonprofit. And please subscribe to the Don't Hide the Scars podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. And if you would like to donate to Pain, Parents and Addicts in Need, please click the link in the description to make your tax-deductible donation today and help us save more lives gripped by addiction. Hey, I got I got my shotgun rider. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Flynn Anderson is here. Um, so, Michelle, I had an interesting experience, and it really was the conversation Flint and I had with you last time, you sharing that you had a, a sponsor of the opposite sex, which... People always, oh, that's not okay. And it's like, look, I've done big book study groups. It's not in there anywhere. There's nowhere <laughs> in there that it says that can't happen. Um, but I had my first experience with it. And it was really interesting because there's something you said, the, the young lady, she's going, I just feel really safe with you. And I'm like, it's because I'm off the table. She's like, huh? And I'm like, because this is about work and business. And and I understand that the 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 individuals that have hurt you the most from what you've shared have been women. So you trust men. Well, you can ultimately trust me because it's off the table. Like this isn't even an op like an option like mm -hmm. ever. Like understand that. And it was the, the first time I think. And she's a nice looking lady that I think somebody really set a boundary. And it was like, oh hell, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to pull my stuff, am I? You know. Yeah. Uh, so have you worked now that you've been taking on sponsees, worked with any men, uh, any mm -hmm. kind of advice on that, that opposite sex and working with them and setting those, those boundaries as a sponsor? Well, although I chose to have a male sponsor, I have not taken on any men sponsees. Mm. I've had several men approach me, um, whether it's on face-to-face -face meetings or on Zoom meetings and send me a direct message. Um, like I had mentioned before, I'm really energetically sensitive, super intuitive. And, and, and even if I wasn't, um, it's very easy for a woman to tell whenever a man wants to work with you because they're attracted to one thing or if they truly want to work on their sobriety and spirituality and their connection to their higher power. Mm. Being able to differentiate between the two is really important for me. And so I have to trust my intuition whenever it says, and when I notice this person wants to say that they want to work the 12 steps with me, but they're looking for like a way to get into having a relationship with me, flirting with me, spending time with me and all those things. And so thus far, I have not found somebody that I'm willing to work with because of that. So that's the long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I well, I had to, and I didn't think about the fact that that uh, I was a flirt or created intrigue. Mm 
And it was probably about a year and a half in. And I realized that like some of my language, granted, I'll tell Pam that we work with here, like she looks nice today or something like that. But I didn't realize how frequently I was leading with a lot of those things. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm not like hardcore flirting, but I am. I'm trying mm-hmm. to lower lower some guard and some other things that it was like, oh, yeah, I, I can't do that anymore. That, that, mm-hmm. That's wrong. Well, but- it, well, isn't isn't it though? Like, like I mean, just the natural human condition that we all want somebody to like us. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, and and then again, as obviously as a man, you know, I I, I mean, do do I I'm sure even unconsciously we we might take it to that not not the next level so to speak but just a little you know kind of <laughs> just just kind of opening up another door you know almost without even realizing we're opening up another door yeah mm. yeah i feel like the longer that i stay sober the easier it is for me to tell when i've cracked that door open mm. in a sense and it's like okay it's an opportunity to do some inventory. Like, what is it that I feel that I need from that person? Am I looking for validation? Am I looking for connection? Am I looking for something else? What is it that I'm truly looking for? So like I always tell the people that I work with, like, don't just think it, ink it, put it from like pen, from, uh, mm. put pen to paper and then actually explore what it is behind the decision that you make or any type of connection that you made with somebody, especially if the mind tells you that you need to feel guilty about it, it's like, okay, why do I feel guilty about this? Is it, and it's just a lot to explore. Like the longer I stay sober, it's like the deeper and deeper um, my introspection gets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, you brought something up that's just really valuable and we don't talk about it a lot that I don't find anymore. And that's like you said, put, putting ink to paper. You know, it's, it, I, I mean, that was like vital for me early on, particularly, you know, because because journaling and going back and be able to look at, you know, the, our, our thoughts and our patterns, you know, 23 years ago, as opposed to now, I, I mean, a lot of it's a good reminder of where we need to be, but I just don't hear a lot of people in recovery talking about journaling anymore. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And I always tell people, whether it is on my podcast or uh, in person working with people, um, is the importance of journaling because you, like you said, you can look back at the past and see how far you've come. And also the longer that I stay sober, the more easier it is for me to pinpoint those patterns Mm -hmm. and the cycles that I go through in my sobriety and the cycles that I go through every single year, whether that has to do with like the summer, uh, just like, or the winter when it's darker, you know, like, am I more depressed in, in the, in the winter? Um, for myself, it's like whenever there's a full moon, I start to experience a lot of exhaustion during the day, but I have more energy at night and things like that. And it's just a matter of uh, just being aware of the cycles that we go through, not only just energetically, but um, just with our connections with people too. And for myself, it's just like, okay, um, the past couple of months, it was time for the holidays. And I know that during that time in the past, I had a tendency to get really anxious 
right? Mm-hmm. Which Jason and I were talking about before is like being anxious is a sign that we're thinking about something in the future, right? Yep. And um, so it's a matter of just coming back to the present moment and thinking, okay, like what occurred last year isn't necessarily going to occur this year. It's just like surrender to God in that moment and ask him to direct my thoughts and my thinking. Right. Um, journaling is a great way to to look back at how far we've come and to also, I feel like it's a, it's a process of transmutation. So it's like, I might think like I have a resentment against so-and-so because of this and that, but if I write, write it down on paper, then I start to receive more clarity about what it is that I truly have the resentment against that person about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then I find out, you know what, it's not even that person right. that I have a resentment <laughs> towards it's something, something else completely. Right. Well, and I, and a, it, it, like you said, it needs to be pen to paper. I'm not talking about typing it out. I'm not talking about putting it in your phone because we need that cognitive, that action. Mm -hmm. We need that connection to the motion. Plus it helps with the reframe. I mean, really, you know, we have to do so much of getting out of subconscious living and be more conscious Mm -hmm. of, of who we are. Mm -hmm. Grain, gain greater discernment. That's still a big one for me. I, I I ask Flynn a lot of questions. He may not realize I'm asking to help my improve my discernment in, in, of situations. So it's 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 vital. But I do want to um, jump back because you mentioned uh, you did was it 13 treatment facilities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And 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 we were talking before we hit record, but you did have a stint with with Suboxone, and and you really said there's just a lot of fear about returning to the world, so to speak, without a little something. I mean, can you clarify? Yeah, I'll elaborate on that for sure. So um, after the 13th time in rehab or so, I was really frustrated. Um, I kept honestly, like I didn't want to really live in this world or anything like that anymore, but no matter how many times I would overdose or I was always alive, right? So I knew that no matter what, like I was going to always be alive in this world, but I wasn't quite ready to enter the world completely free of mind altering substances. Mm-hmm. I was so terrified um, that I convinced a better word would be manipulated, manipulated my therapist and the psychiatrist within the rehab facility and said, you know what, I can't do this. I'm not going to leave here unless I'm on Suboxone. I had completely, you guys, detoxed of all opiates, uh, Xanax, all kinds of pills. I was completely free of everything. I hadn't been on anything for weeks and weeks. And I made a choice to tell them like, hey, I'm not willing to go into the world unless I have like a buffer between me and, Mm -hmm. and the world. And so they put me on Suboxone and I think, and if I, I don't remember the exact dosage, but I think it was like eight milligrams. They usually start at eight or 12, somewhere around there. So it was eight a day, a sublingual. And I, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking back at a phone that I had um, and pictures of myself. And I was like nodding off. Mm -hmm. Like I was off of street drugs, no alcohol or anything. But every time that I would, use that sublingual, I would be nodding off like at the side of my bed. And so it was not, it was still messing me up. Like it still gave me some type of buzz. Um, 
I remember talking to my sponsor at the very beginning and he was like, you know, Michelle, like you need to get off of that medication. You need to get off of it. Um, when I left the rehab facility, it's insane. They had me on 15 medications. Uh, they had me on Suboxone. They had me on antidepressants, antipsychotics, anxiety medication. Like they just loaded me up with everything. In addition to them giving us a pack of cigarettes every single day for free. So you leave there with 15 medications and a nicotine addiction that I had never had before in my life. Um, <laughs> go figure, right? You, right. you, you leave there addicted with more than you came in with. But, um, my sponsor is like sobriety for me. And he goes, if you consider me your teacher, sobriety for me is being off of all mind altering substances. He's like, even though it's not a illicit drug and even though you're not drinking, you need to be off everything. And so I went into rehab again, <laughs> um, got off of everything. And then that started my true sobriety right there. Mm-hmm. Did they just taper you down then off some yeah. box on? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. They tapered me down. And eventually by the time I got out of there, of course, I wasn't on anything anymore. Uh, and I didn't even allow them to give me, um, I forget the medications that they use for detoxing. It's like, I forget what they call them, but I didn't even allow, I don't want to be on anything. And he's like, by the time that you go to rehab to get off of all these medications, you'll be able to just rely on your higher power prayer and meditation and you'll get through it perfectly easy. And I did, it was so easy for me. I yeah. didn't. Yeah. I left there completely off of everything. Yeah. So. My, 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 my only, th and I, uh, by the way, I agree with you. Okay. I mean, I just <laughs> absolutely agree with you, but I'm going to throw a butt in there just for a minute. Okay. And, and the butt comes because of what, 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 what I call potential mental health issues and potential is not actually the right word, but because I'm a firm believer in when somebody comes into treatment because there's parents out there and the person themselves, they, you know, they're always trying to blame something else for what is going on. And, and again, Jason's heard this a million times. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it addiction or was it mental health issues? Because mental health issues are a real thing. All right. Bipolar is a real thing. Depression, anxiety is a real thing but I'm talking more like the, the, the bipolar meds right now. So once, once somebody is goes through detox and gets off everything, and there's a time period there where, you know, now you're, now you can be assessed properly to, 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 to really see if there is a mental health issue such as bipolar. I don't like the fact that there are some treatment centers just go, Oh, you're you're showing signs of bipolar. You're showing signs of this and showing signs of that. So we're going to put you on this. No, they're in a safe place. They're in a treatment facility. So so nothing truly is going to happen to them. So take some time, decide what it is, have your doctors make the diagnosis. By the way, the diagnosis needs to come from a doctor on this one. Okay, I'm sorry. Some therapist I don't think needs to make that diagnosis. And then if that's the case, then I don't have a problem with somebody being on a bipolar med. 
I mean, I, I have, and I know this is kind of comparing apples to oranges a little bit, but I have heart issues. I've had two open heart surgeries. I have to take Xeralto. I'm an AFib all the time. You know, if I don't take that medication, I'm screwed. You know, I could I could have a stroke, you know, the, the, the following day. So that medication I have to take bar none every single day. So, I, so again, I'm thinking that if that person's bipolar, then yeah, that medication's okay to take. The mm -hmm. prob problem with a lot of this stuff is with, with, with psychotropic drugs is that all of a sudden the person starts feeling better mm. after, after some months, right? And then they may forget a dose here or forget a dose there. And then all of a sudden they're forgetting it all together. You know, now, now they're in a boatload of trouble again. You know, so, but that's, that's my only, that's my, my only kind of answer to that one, because I, I do agree with you, but I also want to say this, that, that I, I've been there and that is, that was such fear for me getting out of treatment is how am I going to do that? I mean, total fear of how am I going to deal with anything in life without taking something? Mm. I mean, it's scary for us. Yeah. Mm. So scary. So, so, so scary. I, I'm just grateful that I had an amazing sponsor yeah. and an amazing home group and people that loved me when I hated myself. Right. Um, one of the things that I think is truly important for anybody that is new in sobriety is to surround themselves with people that have been sober for a really long time but not only that, people that are actually working the program, that are actually happy, that are actually joyful, that are actually doing things that, um, like, of course, being of service to other people, but they're in their purpose. Mm -hmm. And they have their cup full, in a sense, that whenever you spend time with those people, that that overflow will spill into you. Yep. that they have like an additional amount of energy that will overfill because whenever I was newly sober, I was just so dark, yeah. so pessimistic, so fearful, so anxious and depressed that I could not lift myself out of the depths of hell through like my own volition. Like it had to be I had to allow myself to be lifted up by other people. Mm -hmm. I had just like a tiniest, tiniest like bit of willingness and humility to say like, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And just having that door cracked open just a little bit and enough allowed people to pour into me. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you can't at the, you know how they, we always say change your people, places, things. It's imperative at the very beginning of sobriety and for several years after to no longer go back to those dark spots. Don't go back to the bars. Don't go back to the hood. Don't go back to those friendships, change your phone number. If need be delete mm -hmm. your contacts, get a completely set of new friends and close the door on the past. Because if you don't, it's like, how can you get lifted up if you're still in the darkness, surrounded by darkness? You have to be, you can be in a dark space and that's okay. And it's understandable. But if you're in a standing next to the light, the light automatically will lift you. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's okay to burn a bridge. Yep. I mean, it's okay. Right? It's okay to burn. Like I've heard this, like in a lot of motivational speeches and I feel like it's okay to burn the boats. It's yep. okay to just for myself, like I had to, uproot myself from San Antonio and place myself in Austin, Texas 
in a new place where I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any family members. I didn't have any friends. And it was just me and AA. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And that saved my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let me ask you guys this too. Just kind of going back to a second to the journaling piece of this. And you mentioned it. You know, we're we're obviously we're in a time where phones are everything. And, you know, this this little pen right here, you know, <laughs> let's just throw that one away. Okay. Um you know, because I guess in 2024, you know, I, 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 I'm really kind of focusing on answers for people, mm-hmm. okay? Be, because we, we, we talk a lot about the awareness, which is still important, and we still need to do that. But I just don't think we're giving enough answers mm-hmm. because there's always excuses and everybody's got them out there. But on that journaling piece for young people, that that 18 to 30 year old that has that phone so far up their ass, they <laughs> they, they they think it's a body part. Okay. Um, I mean, what would your suggestion be for the for for this age group? I mean, how do we get it across to them that yeah, okay, you need you need to pick up this instrument called a pen. All right. Mm-hmm. You need to get a notebook. All right. And you need to start writing because it's one thing to, t- and I, I'm, a, I'm the same way I tell people, but, but it's one thing to tell somebody to do that. But how do we instruct that 18 year old, a 30 year old to actually do it? Mm-hmm. Because they're so ingrained in that phone and doing this. And, you know, I mean, I, I just don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a challenging one right there. Um, I would say to to have them challenge themselves. Uh, of course, I was going to bring up something with awareness, but if they are struggling with someone something, um, and they actually get pen and paper and write down what it is that they're going through, and and truly allow themselves a certain amount of time, at least fifteen to twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and then just ask him, you know, to before they start writing, like what was what were they initially feeling like a lot of resistance? Were they feeling a lot of pain? Were they going through a lot of suffering and to just commit to like that 15 to 20 minutes. And then once you're done writing for 15 or 20 minutes, be honest with yourself and ask yourself, like, how do you feel now in comparison to the way that you did before? Mm-hmm. Like from, a, from, a, from like a scale of one to 10, if on you were a 10 in depression, like, how do you feel now? You know, do you feel like a one? Do you feel a two? Do you feel a three? Be honest with yourself. And also something to bring to their awareness is if your mind has so much resistance to putting pen to paper, just know that that is your subconscious trying to keep you in a place of stagnation. Mm. Okay. Like just be aware that if there is resistance to something just know that once you put pen to paper on the opposite side of that, there's going to be something good for you, that there's going to be some type of reward. There's going to be a release or I don't know how to put it. It, the way that it feels, it feels like it's freeing whenever you put pen to Mm -hmm. paper. And although it's like at the very beginning, when I put pen to paper, it kind of hurt my hand (laughs) and I was lazy and everything. Mm -hmm but I truly felt so much different whenever I did that. So it's just like challenging yourself, just give yourself 15 to 20 minutes, write down what it was like before and then journal about what it felt like after. Be honest with yourself. Do you feel better? Mm -hmm. Great point. 
Yeah. Well, and it's uh, the, I've gotten the, well, I don't know what to write. Good. Start with Good. that. Start with that. Right. right. I don't know mm -hmm. what to write. I'm yeah. lost on what to say today. And guess mm -hmm. what? <laughs> you're going to find that at the end of 10 minutes or so, you're going to have some stuff down. You won't yeah. stop there. It won't mm -hmm. allow the brain. Start wherever you need to start. That's a really good point, Jason. It's just because like if someone's having a big aversion to writing, just like I can't stand it. Like Jason is ask, asking me to write this stuff down. It's making me so annoyed. I'm so annoyed. Like I have so much stuff to do, or I'd rather be doing this, this and that. Just write, just write, just write, whatever it is. Just write down your stream of consciousness. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to look like what I'm telling you need to write. Just write. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's almost like 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 writing a book, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you you don't care about grammar, you don't care about punctuation, you don't care about any of that stuff. You just you just start writing, and at the end, edit it. I, mm -hmm. I I mean, so so I agree with you. I mean, I don't care what it is, just get into the habit of 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 starting to to learn to write again. Plus, it's a lost art anyway, so maybe <laughs> we'll get some yeah. good writers out of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say another good suggestion is just if you're working with someone that's new to sobriety is just say, start suggesting, Hey, just like, write, Start writing for two minutes a night, mm -hmm. just two minutes, write like that for a week. Next meet next week, start writing for three and every week, just up the amount of time because it, there is so much resistance mm -hmm. to writing. We're that's not what we do anymore. Everything is on this, on our devices, right. everything. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely mm -hmm. <laughs> oh do we have anything else we said we were going to talk about yeah yeah we were going to talk about uh relapses oh supporting yes, yes. people with relapses ah that's it. it well i'm glad if flint's <laughs> here now um i mean goodness yeah i mean we both we've been through it personally we've we've been there to to help other people i mean uh start with you guys what what do you think the the first key thing to do for me is just you know i just try to convey i'm not in judgment of you because mm -hmm. i can't judge you for something i've done myself first mm -hmm. and foremost yeah. and you know it's just just helping them know that they're supported and not get into that shame cycle real fast mm -hmm. michelle let me ask you this real quick and then i, I want to hear from you on all this I can, to me, it's, there's a slip up and there's a relapse. There's a, there's a difference between the two. And let me explain my sick mind. <laughs> a slip up to me is, all right, I go, I go home tonight. I'm trying to pick out a suit for tomorrow morning and I go through a pocket and I find uh, a Norco in there mm. from years ago. Okay. And, um, you know, and I'm kind of looking around and there's, there's, there's nobody there. And you know what, you know, and, 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 and it doesn't matter if you got one year, or 25 years of sobriety and all of a sudden, Oh, boom. All right. So I, let's say I take that thing and I don't tell anybody. Hmm. All right. I don't tell my sponsor. I don't tell my wife. I don't tell any, I don't tell Jason. I don't tell anybody. And now the next day, okay, I got away with it. Right. I got away with it. So, so, and again, I'm not, let me just finish. So, so then what happens? Maybe, maybe I go get a prescription somewhere, but I'm only going to take, you know, one a day. Right. And we all know that's crap. Okay. <laughs> right. But, but right. I, I, then I take it again and I take it again. And all right. Now to me, that's a relapse. Now, if I'm in that closet and I reach in that pocket and I find that Norco and I, for whatever reasons I take it 
And all of a sudden I go, oh, you know, damn it, right? I call my sponsor, I call you, I call Jason, I call whatever, all right? To me, that's a slip up. Mm-hmm. I don't believe, A, I'm not a real day counter, all right, as far as my sobriety days. I mean, what do I got, 18,422? I, I don't know and I don't care, all right? Today I'm sober. But but th- there's so much in AA where somebody will say, well, now, okay, well, you got to start all over again. You know, you got to go back to day one. Mm-hmm. Well, just because you took that, that Norco, you didn't lose your recovery. Yeah. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, you probably improved it if you called your sponsor. Right. You know, right. So I was just, I, you know, so anyway, that's my difference between a slip up and a, and, and a relapse. What's your take? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I agree with you as far as starting over and you lost everything and all of your recovery has gone out the window. That is such BS. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to bring this up to my sponsor the other day. I told him that because he was talking about somebody and I was just like that. He didn't lose everything. He didn't lose it at all. Um, and that kind of ties into what Jason and I were speaking about before, uh, letting go of other people's perception of me. Like if I had a slip up and I talked to my sponsor and then I told my, my husband or whatever. Um, and then it's like, who cares how many days it is? It's like, that is an egoic thing. That is my ego holding on to the need to, I don't know, have validation from other people. I I really don't care. Like I don't count the days either. And I, if there was a slip up, I mean, I wouldn't reset my days. Um, Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I had that situation. Remember, I was doing the MMA event, the ring announcing, and and I always get a tonic water with lime. That way, nobody bothers me or whatever. They had different bartenders that time, whatever, and I'm sitting there just before the main event, and I take a, a, a swig, and I back into the cup, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, my God, this is a vodka tonic. What the hell? And, of course, all the guys that work with me, they're like, dude, I'm so sorry. It's a, you know, and I'm texting my sponsor, and he's like, hey, did that thought go through your brain? I could totally get away with this, probably finish this, get home and and be sobered up enough that my partner wouldn't notice. My my kids would probably be asleep. And I'll, I was like, yeah, but it went away real quick. And he's like, you're fine. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, do you know how many times I've been on business trips and I go out, you know, he's got 15, 16 years and there's people or whatever. And somehow like, yeah, that's, that's, that's booze. And he's like, mm-hmm. and I've had a sip or something. He's like, it's the action that follows with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the action that follows and also the intention too. Well, ugh. there there was one time <laughs> at the very beginning of my sobriety where I was using um, like a lion's mane tincture, which is just a sublingual mm-hmm. vitamin. And I didn't realize that it had a carrier of alcohol. And uh-huh. so as it was under my tongue, like I started to feel this sensation. Oh, I know what alcohol feels like. Sure. And I thought that I relapsed and I started panicking <laughs> and I started feeling guilty and all this stuff. And, and my sponsor was like, was your intention tanky, taking that to get a buzz or anything like that? Once you realize that it was alcohol, what did you do? Like, you know, the thought process following what occurred mm-hmm. is what's important. And so, right. yeah. Right, right, right. And, and and that brings me to just another point real quick when we're talking about young people and we're talking about 
um, AA meetings and, and you were, and, and again, you were a hundred percent right on, on, on getting new friends and, you know, getting people that you're, that you're, that you want to be around. So I hear this a lot. So many of these, especially guys, they'll go into an AA meeting, right? And, and they'll come back and go, God, you know, all I do is I hear these old guys bitch. Okay. You know, every meeting I'm hearing these old guys, bitch, they're sober, mm -hmm. but they, they're, they're, they're certainly not happy people, you know? Right. And then, and that's when I tell them, I say, look, I said, just, you know, get out of there. All right. Go find it. Go find a meeting that works for you. You know, you don't, nobody says you have to sit in that meeting, you yeah. know, and listen to it. But that's a big one with some of these guys. Yeah. Dude. I, so yes, I live here in San Antonio. Okay. And I have gone to several in-person meetings that are full of long timers, as I like to call them. Uh, <laughs> Thank you that, for not using the word old. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that complain and just are very dark. And yes, they're physically sober, emotionally sober. I'm not so sure. Well, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, I know that they're not. Right. Um, but it, I feel like that comes from a place of discernment and not judgment. And mm -hmm. so if I... This kind of ties into something else really quickly. I was going to do some service work at a rehab um, and I wanted to go and share my story. And they said, well, you know what, Michelle, whenever you get settled in San Antonio and you have a home group, like an in-person home group, Michelle, then you can come here to do some service work. Well, you know what? I don't have an in-person home group. My home group is online. It's um, in Austin with the people that I got sober with. Why? Not because I don't want to go into an in-person meeting, but because my meeting is based in solution and people that are actually working the steps and that are happy and joyous and free and doing service work and not complaining and coming in there, um, you know, just with emotional drive-bys every single day and leaving in everyone's lap, like all of this fear and anxiety and doubt and frustration and stuff. So... Mm -hmm. Well, and I think an important thing to do, and um, a gentleman that I had recently connected with, and he, you know, kind of helping me break down life, and, uh, and he had me make a list of, of of friendships, and I hadn't really ever thought about it. And he goes, okay, how many of these people are liabilities or assets? If they're liabilities, it's time to... And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> He's like, yeah. because you'll come to find... At one point, the majority of your connections are liabilities, not assets. Mm -hmm. And it's your job now to question if you're a liability or an asset to others, because mm -hmm. the choice is yours. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. wow, man, mm -hmm. I just cleaned out the phone even more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Total phone scrub. <laughs> yeah, that is an extra digital scrub all of a sudden. Right. Are these yeah. people liabilities or assets? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was taught that uh, several years ago, taking a look at my friend list to seeing if people are liabilities or assets, and then making sure to turn the table and look at myself to see if I was a liability or asset to other people's life. And if I was a liability, just taking personal responsibility for those character defects and um, ensuring that I made a change with those type of behaviors that I had. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Hey, Michelle, people want to connect with you either on your YouTube or social media. Easiest way to get a hold of you. Easiest way. I am the sobriety playbook on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. So yeah, <laughs> super easy to find me that way. 
And as always, the link is in the podcast description. Mr. Anderson. And Mr. Lachance, thank you so much, Michelle. Again, I'm sorry I got here a little late, but it's always a pleasure to see you. I'm I'm just so thrilled at what you're doing. I, I really am. I, I just think it's wonderful. I mean, look at that face. Okay? I mean, it's just smiling and shining and I just love it. Yeah. Thank you again. Yeah, of course. I'm so happy that you showed up. It's so good to see you, Flint and Jason, as always. Yeah. So grateful that we were able to connect once again. I look forward to seeing y'all soon. You Absolutely. Bet it. Sounds good. Thanks, Michelle. And thank you All to right. everyone for uh, either listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Please leave a thumb up on YouTube, a comment. And if you're on Apple Podcast or Spotify, leave that rating and review. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Pain Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or visit us online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Pain Nonprofit. And please subscribe to the Don't Hide the Scars podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. And if you would like to donate to Pain, Parents and Addicts in Need, please click the link in the description to make your tax-deductible donation today and help us save more lives gripped by addiction.